the invite. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. Then I see a land where children can run free. So take my hand and walk this land with me and walk this lovely. Yada Yada Radio. I, uh, I have a couple of items in the news, but first, uh, we had a really astute uh, listener uh, last week. Her name is uh, Krista Matkins. I hope Krista's listening again. Uh, her heading was uh, Blasphemy, and uh, she uh, said, you a goat. So the program tonight is uh, is brought to you by you and and just in case you are wondering, it is uh, possible for uh, goats to uh, blasphemy. Blaspheme, yes. Yeah, yeah, bless your heart. Um, we, we did get news out of uh, out of. Uh, out of Indonesia, uh, for anyone who has uh, thought about going to Bali, which is, you know, a pretty nice uh, resort destination. There's a lot nicer, but it's not uh, it's not so bad. Uh, or any one of the gazillions of islands. Oh, by the way, Concierge is uh, auctioning off several hundred islands uh, at a no-reserve auction uh, this month uh, in uh, Indonesia. But you uh, want to make certain that either you are celibate or uh, that uh, you are with your spouse because it's a, a six-month prison term now. If any unwed couple has uh, sex in uh, Indonesia, and this not only includes Indonesian uh, subjects, but also guests, foreigners. Wow. And I, I just thought that I'd bring that item to, to your attention because uh, it, it, they're making these decisions based upon the Islamic religion, and Muhammad mm-hmm. was a sexual pervert. He was involved in multiple acts of pedophilia. He was a uh, not only a rapist on uh, on some occasions, but a serial rapist. Uh, yes. And uh, and he had a harem, which means that obviously he had uh, unmarried sex. But nonetheless, they are thinking they're doing their uh, their lord a uh, a great service. Uh, speaking of of great services, uh, I owe uh, Obama an apology. I never thought I would have to say that, but I owe 
uh, abomination and apology. I had uh, told our listeners uh, that the problems in the Ukraine, this uh, war that the United States is uh, aiding and abetting in the Ukraine, uh, bankrupting the world over, uh, and um, pushing us told, toward the point where the dollar will no longer be the reserve currency of the world, which will bankrupt the country and put us into a complete anarchy, that that brilliant strategy uh, was begun in the um, Obama era when Obama, with the support of McCain and uh, Lindsey Graham, decided to overthrow the properly elected government of the Ukraine uh, through a series of riots so that a pro-Western government would arise uh, and that we could bribe them with the IMF to become part of Europe as opposed to continuing a relationship with Russia. Uh, Turns out uh, that plot was not born during the Obama administration. George W. Bush in 2006 uh, went uh, didn't go to the Ukraine, met with the Ukrainians, and told him that his plan was for them to be part of NATO, and that if it brought war, that the U.S. would defend NATO or defend the Ukraine. So the decision to arm the Ukraine and make them part of NATO, leading to this war that will end in all likelihood with a nuclear exchange and will absolutely. Uh, result in the United States losing its reserve currency status and bankrupt the country began with none other than George W. Bush. 2006 is when we uh, set this course. Kirk, I think you mentioned in the preamble to the show that that you've done the same thing Leah has done. Well, I've been doing this, been speaking out against this since uh, yes. 2013 is when I've been speaking out against the decisions that we have made relative to the Ukraine, uh, that there are others now in academia, together the same facts that, uh, that I have, who recognize that the aggressor in the Ukraine is the United States and that we oh, brought yeah. this war it's on a, the world. Yeah, it's... Uh, they even break it down to uh, almost exactly uh, how you did last week, which I thought was interesting. The uh, Russian success, it says, if Russia succeeds, and then it goes on and shows a long, long way on why they will succeed. And the only thing we could do is, uh, is nuke them uh, because you can't, they're going to win. Uh, yes. And, and they analyze why. And, uh, but to uh, make a long story short, they, uh, they basically start off with uh, – Explain that if Russia succeeds, it lead to international and monetary system change through the BRICS, the Shanghai Corporation Organization, and the Eurasian Economic Union. And basically, he says we're going to drive them to that because they don't want to deal with the dollars. Uh, Iran is already helping them with drones. Russia, they, they've yep. massed hundreds, uh, almost 300,000 troops ready. Uh, they control just about everything that's important now. And and you can't beat these people. I mean, they they will take what they're going to take, and they'll control everything. Uh, but I'll send you the report in great detail. Okay. Can, it's uh, uh, nice to know that the United way. States' answer to all of this, uh, to defuse uh, the prospect of world war, is that this week we announced uh, that we will be bringing a uh, a new strategic um, uh, international bomber, bomber online bomber. Yeah. Uh, instead of the B two. 
which turned out to be the biggest boondoggle in the history of the universe. Uh, looks great at uh, flying over the Rose Parade and, uh, and an occasional uh, preview at, uh, at uh, air shows, but is otherwise uh, a complete waste of money. I think they're in the range of about uh, a half a billion dollars a piece. Um, we have a, a new and improved uh, B-2. It's called the B-21. Uh, looks mm-hmm. just like the B-2, but has fancier paint on the outside and updated uh, uh, avionics. And we announced that it was uh, specifically designed uh, as a threat to the Chinese. If nothing says peace, then... Uh, oh, oh, and by cool. the way, uh, at, uh, yeah. at about uh, a half a billion dollars apiece, we are committed to building 200 of them. Gee, I hope that fancy paint uh, lasts that long. All right, we're going to return to one of my favorite statements. I think it is uh, exceedingly uh, interesting. It's found in uh, Hosha. We are covering the uh, the book of Hosha, Will, for a number of uh, programs here. Uh, we are um, nearing the uh, midpoint of the second chapter of Hosha. And this is where we concluded our program uh, this time last week. This statement is one that I don't think I've ever heard anyone make a point of prior to the Yada Yaiwa series, and yet it is so essential to understanding mm-hmm. our relationship with, uh, with God. It reads, during, uh, waba, and with and on. This specific day, and uh, the context is Yahweh's return to reconcile his relationship with his people. During this specific day, It shall be, Haya. It will uh, happen. This was written in the call perfect, which means it's going to happen during this finite period of time. Prophetically declares Nahum, Yahweh. He wrote his name out for us to read it, for us to pronounce it, Yahweh. You will invite, welcome, and meet with me as an individual. Kara Ish Ani. Kara means to welcome to meet, to invite, to summon, to greet, to read, and to recite. Kara is the basis of Mikra. Mikra is the the seven annual of uh, festivals that Yahweh uh, has invited us to attend <coughs> each year that are directly related to our relationship and our salvation. Uh, so Yahweh says, during this specific day, it shall be, prophetically declares Yahweh, you will invite, welcome, and meet with me as an individual. And then you will never again call me. Wa lo kara la ani beli, my Lord, ever again. Ever again. So this is the day that Yahweh is returning to reconcile his relationship with Yisrael and Yahudah. It's an extraordinary event because you know, the, the tribes of Yisrael have been declared lost uh, since what the Assyrian invasion mm-hmm. in the uh, around what 700 uh, something uh, BCE. And since that time, 
there has only been a Yahuda, no Yisrael. And Yahweh is saying that he is going to bring the remnant of Yisrael and the Yahudim, Jews, together and going to reconcile his relationship on, of course, the day of reconciliations in year 6000 Yah, which is October 2nd at sunset in 2033. And at that moment... Yahweh says, you're going to welcome me, you're going to meet with me as a person, as an individual, as an ish. Then you will never again call me Bailey, my Lord. Now, the reason that this is really striking is that Judaism has made a religion out of Ignoring and renouncing Yahweh's name. If you are a Yahud, you probably don't even know that your name is based upon Yahweh's name. You have probably never said Yahweh's name in your life. You've never read Yahweh's name. And yet his name is written 7,000 times in the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms. Religious Jews removed it and replaced it with Adonai, which means my Lord, committing this very crime. And so if you're going to be among those who welcome Yahweh as an individual, as a person, as somebody that we can personally relate to, identify with, and enjoy his company, then you will do so under his name, Yahweh which means there will be no Herodim. There will be no religious people present because the religious people do not use his name. Now, this is also interesting because when you turn to books like Daniel and Ezekiel, both of which were written either in Babylon or they claim to have been written in Babylon, what you find is that and Daniel, that Yahweh's name is seldom mentioned, and he's always presented as the Lord. In Ezekiel, Yahweh's name appears everywhere, but it's always introduced by my Lord, Yahweh. Uh, any book that was written that way is not valid, because a prophet is going to speak in the manner that Yahweh once, not in a manner that he finds irritating. What I learned in continuing to translate Ezekiel is that Ezekiel is the literal fulfillment of Yeshaya Isaiah 14. For those who do not know, uh, the 14th chapter of Isaiah is devoted to a singular theme, and that is the presentation of Satan seeking to rise above the Most High, to be worshipped as if he were God, and all of this occurring in Babylon. And so Ezekiel is that book. When wow. he describes the images of the God he is seeing, the God he is describing is Satan. And all of the statements in Ezekiel are inspired by Satan. That's interesting 
that by the time you get to the 12th chapter of Ezekiel, this the Lord, who claims to be Yahweh, is anything but, is actually saying that if I say something, well, he's saying of all the prophecy that's taken place from this point, it's all uh, nullified. It's, we're not going to have any more of that stupid prophecy that came before. And that all prophecy from this point on is going to happen coterminous with me uh, speaking the words. Now, if it's happening coterminous, it isn't prophecy. It's a report of current events. Now, one of the problems that Ezekiel has is the same problem Daniel had. They can't get current events correct. They, uh, their presentation of current events is hugely flawed and filled with errors. But he's saying, if I say it, it's going to happen immediately. Which means it's no longer going to be any prophecy. And he says that everything else that was said prophetically that was supposed to be fulfilled over a long period of time, that's nonsense. That all goes away. Satan's admitting. Yahweh does not allow him to maneuver in time so that he knows the future. So he cannot report in our past what will happen in our future because he doesn't know it. And therefore, he can't be, he can't inspire prophecy. And therefore, a book like, or a, uh, a, a statement like there's going to be a Magog war and a new temple, wrong. They would have had to have happened immediately, concurrent with the prophecy, in 500 BCE, from them to meet the standard that uh, Satan had set. So what we're witnessing in Ezekiel is the fulfillment of Yeshua 14, of Satan seeking to be worshipped as if he were God. This should not be troubling, by the way, for, uh, for our listeners, uh, because we have all been through multiple times with... Moshe had to say about false prophets. And one of the things that Moshe says about a false prophet is that if, if they don't speak in Yahweh's name, but mention the name of other gods, Adonai is the name of Adonis, another god, they are a false prophet. They're deadly. If anything they say of the past is inaccurate, they are a false prophet, they are deadly. If they get a single prediction of the future wrong, they're a false prophet and they are deadly. Daniel and Ezekiel fail both tests. They're both false prophets. And just because a book was placed between legitimate prophets shouldn't cause us to genuflect and say, oh, well, it must be true. Let's, uh, let's see what Yahweh had to say. They're using his name. Well, Satan knows Yahweh's name. So we have to be careful. We were given the tools to know what is of God and what is not. And it's our responsibility to use those tools as he gave them to us to make these determinations. And one of the determinations that is a abundantly clear is Yahweh does not like being called the Lord. And there's a reason for that. Well, there's actually two reasons for that. The first is 
that Lord is exceedingly destructive of what he's trying to achieve with us. You cannot have a father-son, father-daughter relationship with Yahweh if you're referring to him as your Lord. We do not worship our fathers. Our fathers do not own us. They do not seek to control us. They do not want us to bow down to them, to kiss their rings, and to treat them as they are our master. That's what Baal, that's what Adonis, that's what Bel means. And so you cannot have a family relationship with Yahweh, which is what the covenant was conceived to achieve, if you're referring to Yahweh as Lord. Well, that's the primary reason. You guys know what the secondary reason is that um, God despises being called the Lord? Well, what? I'll answer the question. I've, because my, my okay. uh, one of my very favorite guys made this exceedingly yeah. clear. His name is Elia. Uh, Elia not only beat the prophets of, of Baal, the Lord, in debate, and did so with great humor and sarcasm, um, he killed them all afterwards. And that's how serious this is. This is life and, uh, yeah. and death. Uh, the Lord is Satan's title. Yahweh describes Satan as Baal. He was the god of the Babylonians. In fact, Babel, which is the Hebrew name for Babylon, is means Ba with Bel, the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's the nature of Babylon. That's why it means to confuse by commingling. The Lord is the name and title Yahweh used to describe Hasatan, the adversary, because the adversary seeks to be a Lord. He wants to possess, to own, to control, to be the master. To be worshipped as the Lord of religion. So if you refer to Yahweh as the Lord, you're saying that he's Satan. Right. So those are the two reasons. He despises it. So during this specific day, this is his return on Yom Kippur in year 6000, Yah, October 2nd at sunset, 6.22 p.m. in uh, Jerusalem in the year 2033. Yes, you heard that right. If you're a Jew, Muhammad's dating system isn't even close to being accurate, but nothing Muhammad said is, uh, is accurate. During this specific day, it shall be, prophetically declares Yahweh, you will invite, welcome, and meet with me as an individual. Then you will never again call me my Lord. Ever again. For I will remove, accordingly, the names and reputations, the Shem, of the Balaam, the Lord's, from her mouth. They will not be remembered, recalled, or mentioned by their name ever again. Pretty clear enough. 
Then you will never again call me my Lord, ever again. For I will remove accordingly the names and reputations of the Balaam, the Lord's, from her mouth, and they shall not be remembered, recalled, or mentioned by their name ever again. So when the Christian New Testament has the Lord Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. sorry. It's a lie. Or just call it the Bible. Yes. Uh, to have a Bible means with the Lord. Yeah. Your Christian Bible, if you read it, even the Jewish Publication Society's Bible, read it every time Yahweh's name is mentioned. It replaces Yahweh's name with the Lord. Yeah. That angers God. A hundred percent of people who do that have no relationship with him. They will not be there on the day of reconciliations. So the day of Yahweh's return, when all of this will occur, Yom Kippurim, the day of reconciliations, is the concluding date of what I would refer to as the Great Intermission. Um, since shortly after Dode's uh, death, and Israel began to disintegrate under his son Solomon, because his son Solomon was religious and brought in all manner of pagan gods and goddesses, that Yahweh has gradually started dis, uh, associating yeah. from them. The yeah. book of Hosha is the announcement of the divorce and the disassociation. You are no longer my children. Uh, you, are, you and I no longer have a relationship. It was a very, very long intermission. You know, Hosha is written in uh, the 8th century BCE. That intermission is ongoing. It will not end until the days and months prior to uh, his return with Dode on Yom Kippurim in 2033, year 6,000 Yah. Yehudim on that day will be reunited with Yahweh, and they will call out to him by name, welcoming God back into their lives by his proper designation. It's one of the things that people don't have an appreciation of. They, uh, they're quick to label people uh, anti-Semites. But anti-Semite <laughs> is based on Shem. Shem yeah, means name. That's all Shem means, his name. So they're anti the name. What, the folks who are the most anti-Semitic, the most against the name, which happens to be Yahweh, are religious Jews. There is no one more against Yahweh's name being used, being spoken, than the rabbis. Second onto them would be uh, Christians, particularly Roman Catholics, who've outlawed it. And next, of course, would be Muslims who prefer uh, Allah. There are many profound insights. Go ahead. I was just curious what was really the difference between, say, 
Adonai and Bailey, just for the sake of the record and understanding the differences, or if there are any. Between well, Adonai is uh, it means the uh, the uh, the Lord. It's it's actually a corruption of a uh, a Hebrew term. The Hebrew term used in the Torah uh, is uh, is actually Edom, and Edom in thought. the yeah Edom yeah. in the Torah Edom, means yeah. means upright pillar. It's uh, used to describe the uh, the uh, pillar that would sit in the center of the. Uh, uh, tent of the witness, yeah. and uh, to hold it up. Uh, the taller and stronger the upright pillar in the midst of the tent of the witness, the larger and more secure uh, the home became. Uh, it is Edon, and it is used that way. It's written exactly the same way, but corrupted to uh, to uh, my Lord. Edon, yeah. it, uh, right. it capitalizes on the Greek, and during the Maccabean period, which was allegedly to fight off Greek influence, I uh, no, it's exactly the opposite happened. If you look at embraced it, uh, yeah. If you look at the history of uh, the province of Yehuda or the what happened uh, to the Jews that were living in Alexandria, they became exceedingly Greek. And uh, Adonis is uh, one of the principal gods of uh, Greek, and Adonis is based on Adonai. Uh, so that's the evolution of it, but both terms mean my lord and master. It's exactly okay. what the I was said. And the reason he says they'll never call me by that name ever again, by their name ever again, and uses Balaam plural, is because there are lots of uh, different words used to say my lord. And God's disgusted by it. He has a name. His name is important. If you do not know his name, you do not know him. So the first of many important insights that are associated with this declaration is that Yahweh used kara, which means to invite and welcome, to meet and greet, twice in reference to this day, letting us know that he is speaking of the mikra, uh, mikra means to ponder the implications of this invitation, or mikre, which is the plural of Yom Kippurim. This is the most important day on Yahweh's seven millennium calendar. Uh, I'm uh, not a wayward Jew. Uh, so the second chance of Yom Kippurim would normally not be essential to me. Uh, the promises that Yahweh made uh, to me uh, and to um, all of the children mm-hmm. of Yisrael and to Yehudim uh, were made through the covenant where there are five specific benefits, and those benefits are all fulfilled through the first four Mikrei, all of which were fulfilled during year 4000 Yah, which was 33 CE, Pesach, Matzah, Bukhudim and Shabuah, where we are given life eternal, we are perfected, we're adopted into Yahweh's family, and then we are enriched and empowered. Uh, Kippurim is the second chance for currently wayward uh, Jews. And it is essential now to our lives because Yahweh was unable to find a single Jew 
who was willing to take his name, his words, seriously and would devote the time to conveying what he said in the lingua franca of the world, which is in English. More Jews speak English than any other language. And we have devoted now 21 years of our lives, six and seven days a week, uh, eight, 10, 12 hours a day, uh, to this mission. And so our target audience is, yeah, it was target audience. He's coming back on Yom Kippurim. He wants to celebrate a reconciliation with his family. And yet if you look around Yisrael, there are likely less than five of seven million people who use Yahweh's name. We have a long way to go before this reunion with Yahweh is going to be acceptable. And so Yom Kippur means something to us even though we've already received all of the benefits, we proclaim it because it is the most important day on Yahweh's calendar. This is the day that he gets to celebrate the return of his family. Yep. And he used Kara twice in this statement to convey that to us. Second, in terms of important prophetic declarations, on the day of reconciliations in year 6000 Yah, those who have been adopted into the covenant will be immortal, perfected, enriched, empowered, uh, such that to the extent that we will relate to Yahweh as an individual rather than as God, these benefits will be things that we enjoy. So we know that because of the preceding Mikra, we uh, are blessed with the benefits of the covenant. We're immortal, we're perfected, we're enriched, uh, and we're empowered such that we are adopted into Yahweh's family. Affirming this in Yermiah 31, which is as important as anything that uh, God's prophets ever revealed. Yahweh tells us that he is placing his Torah guidance within us, and this will enable us to know and understand so much more than our current comprehension and our current uh, perspective will, uh, will allow. Also, Yahweh will be energizing us, transforming our frail and feeble three-dimensional material existence into seven-dimensional spiritual beings. Again, delight. One of the nice things about recognizing that Ezekiel is a fraud is you no longer have to deal with what is essential the, a, uh, a counterproductive notion of the Valley of the Dry Bones. Uh, physical resurrection is exceedingly counterproductive. It's the reason why the Christian myth that uh, man kills God, well, not man, Jews, even though that I guess the Jews were the real Romans. You know, it's a, I guess it was a conspiracy prior to black Hebrew uh, Israelites. That's... Uh, <laughs> Jews were really the, uh, the know, practitioners of crucifixion goes. and they were the, really the ones yeah. that uh, tried him and the Jews killed uh, Jesus. But the very fact that uh, <laughs> the absurdity of, of uh, God dying uh, and of worshiping him as a dead God on a stick, uh, the claim was that he was bodily resurrected. Well, that would be incredibly counterproductive. Not only would it violate Passover and therefore 
is sacrificed if served no purpose because the sacrificial lamb, whatever is left of it, is incinerated that night. Uh, there is nothing but bad that comes from a yeah. bodily resurrection. I mean, you're well, uh, don't want it. it's it's not feasible, and it isn't beneficial. You can't be immortal. You can't go to heaven. You can't maneuver uh, outside of the world that we uh, we know. The, the nearest star or galaxy is beyond your reach. You could never get there, much less a hundred billion light years across to go see the furthest gal- galaxies. But no entrance to heaven, nothing, if you're nothing. burdened by a physical body. That is a step backwards. That's what one of the advantages of uh, recognizing that Ezekiel is false is you don't have to deal with the uh, valley of the... Uh, dry bones. Um, yeah. There is no uh, bodily resurrection. We're going to be empowered by, by God is taking us from being three-dimensional beings stuck as we are in time to being a seven-dimensional being like himself, which means that you could travel across the entire universe uh, in the blink of an eye. Uh, you would have the ability to see the minute structure of the atom and then go off and explore the uh, big scale of a spiral galaxy. And because energy and matter are, uh, are uh, transferable, you can, even though energy is much greater than matter, you can diminish an aspect of yourself and uh, appear as a material being if you wish to um, enjoy an ordinary flow of time, if you wish to enjoy the taste of food, the sound of music, the feel of of the uh, of a sun against your skin, the feel of a cool spring around your feet, these things are possible when you transition from energy based to material, which is uh, uh, possible as it is possible then to go from uh, physical and material back to energy. These things will all be possible for us, and it is the what God means when he says he's going to enrich us and empower us on this day. Third, by using Ish, it's uh, uh, one of the most uh, interesting words. God very often refers to himself uh, by using Ish when he visited with uh, uh, Abraham, he described himself as an Ish. Ish is a, uh, is a term that can mean man or just means individual. It's a, uh, a person mm-hmm. or a persona that God has a personality. Uh, he has, it, it has personal characteristics that make him special, make him unique. And so when Yahweh uses it, he's not saying that he is a man. He's saying that we'll be able to relate to him as a distinct individual and appreciate his unique and special personality. It's uh, marvelous to be able to, uh, to do that. The divorce will be over um, because Ish can also be translated as husband. Now, fourth, in terms of insights, upon Yahweh's return, and once he has reconciled his relationship with his people, 
in the first act of forever, Yahweh is going to pro- prohibit the use and the uh, uh, the name and title the Lord. It will become the L word of eternity, never to be spoken by anyone, not even in jest. So we can speak it now as, you know, yeah, we use the name of false gods all the time to tell us false gods are false gods. We can use it now and uh, and renouncing it, but soon there will not even be uh, the opportunity to renounce it. It'll just be unknown. We can call Yahweh, Yahweh, Yah, Yahweh, Dad, Father, Dad. but we uh, we will not call him Lord. Oh, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. The single most yeah. common name, the ubiquitous title for the gods of religion, Lord, will never be spoken again because Yahweh hates it. This means that nothing irritates Yahweh more than this religious designation. Wow. Yeah. What Pretty profound for a, uh, for a blasphemy oh, goat. And, you know, I, <laughs> I would not have thought that a goat would have the wherewithal well. to, to blaspheme, but nonetheless. Should you wonder, you know, why this is the case? Why is it that Yahweh uh, hates the term again, Lord, is because Lord's control, and Yahweh's a liberator. What did he say about us, uh, I, uh, well, I'm using us because I'm, I'm about as Yisraelite as they, uh, as they come, uh, even though uh, my uh, genes say, uh, scream goy. Uh, what did he say about us when we were in, uh, in Mitzrayim and the crucibles of religious and political oppression, which is what Mitzrayim means? Yeah. Right. His goal was to liberate us, to free us. Yeah. What's the first statement that he wrote in stone? You know, my name is Yahweh. I was the one who liberated you, who freed you from being slaves. God is a great liberator, Lord's control. So it's the antithesis of Yahweh's relationship. You know, one of the things that's so spectacular about being in a relationship with Yahweh is that we are liberated. We're freed. He doesn't ask us to obey him. He doesn't ask us to worship him. He doesn't ask us to bow down before him. His goal is to Pray lift us me. up and to liberate us, to, to provide opportunities, not restrictions. Yahweh is our father and Lord, lords are owners. Yahweh gives while lords possess. Lords are feared where Yahweh wants to earn our respect. And lords are modeled after the covetous and controlling the worst of men. Yes. Understand. Yeah, and this great celebration of reconciliation. The thing that Yahweh cherishes the most is never being called Lord again. That means that the rabbis, the priests, the pastors who scratched out his name from his testimony 7,000 times, replacing Yahweh with the Lord, have done nothing but antagonize 
God to the point of exasperation. One of the most popular Bible translations is the New American uh, Standard. I have a copy of it uh, in, uh, in front of me here. Reading from their preface, we find that it concludes uh, um, with these words. And when I'm reading these words, please understand, I am reading what these nincompoops wrote. What they wrote was wrong. So what you're going to hear is indeed blasphemy. But they nonetheless wrote it. The proper name for God. To professing Christians, whether of conservative or liberal persuasion, the name of God is most significant, and understandably so. It is uh, inconceivable to think of spiritual matters without a proper designation for the supreme deity. Thus, the most common name for deity is God, a translation of the original Elohim. That's not true. God, like Elohim, is a word. It is not a proper name, which is why it is translated and not transliterated. If it were a name, the name would be Elohim. But it's a descriptive noun. It Mm -hmm. is simply a noun. And as a noun, we translate it, and the English word that we have translated into is God. Simple as that. They lied. Yes. So the source of your translation lied. The preface continues. And by the way, they know they lied. Yeah. The preface continues. The normal, word, the normal word for master is Lord a rendering of Adonai. Now, this is designed to purposefully mislead based upon what follows. First, Adonai is a common title and not a distinct name. To the extent the title was considered a name, it is directed at the Greek god Adonis. Second, Adonai does not mean master, It does not mean Lord. Adon would mean that. It means my master or my Lord controls and possesses me. Third, Yahweh just said that the select few who are reconciled in the end will never even consider using Lord in reference to him. And fourth, Yahweh has but one name, and it is not Adonai. Now, the New American uh, Standard Bible translated Hosea 2.17. They knew what they were writing was offensive to God, but beneficial to their pocketbooks. Therefore, the New American Standard Bible's editors were lying when they wrote There is yet another name 
which is particularly assigned to God as his special or proper name. That is the four letters Y-H-W-H. See Exodus 3 and Isaiah 42.8. This name has not been pronounced by the Jews because of reverence for the great sacredness of the divine name. Therefore, it was constantly pronounced and translated Lord. Is that the reason? <laughs> this is also a lie. It's a blatant uh, lie. Of course. Yahweh was replaced by the title Lord. Yahweh was never pronounced or translated Lord, ever. yod Hey wah is easily pronounced. Those four letters are three vowels. You can look at any one of the hundreds upon hundreds, thousands of words in the Hebrew lexicon. It'll take you 15 minutes to validate that the Y is pronounced like uh, the English, yes, it is a consonant uh, vowel, just as it is in English. And you speak of Isaiah, it's Yashaya, the Y. When Yahweh introduced himself to Moshe, he used H uh, Y H Haya. Mm -hmm. He tells you exactly how to pronounce Yahweh's name. When he introduces his name, he says it's based upon the verb Haya, which means I am, I exist, I was, I will be, uh, and I am. Haya. Uh, Torah is another great example. Torah is has the uh, the O sound in Torah and the Ah sound in Torah are from the Wa and the He. Mm -hmm. Right. This is not difficult. Uh, shalom, well, one of the mm -hmm. most commonly yeah. pronounced Hebrew words. The O sound in Shalom is from the Wa. This is not Same difficult. With yom. The editors of the New American Standard Bible lied. Yeah. A translation by definition conveys the meaning of a word from one language to its equivalent in another. Yahweh does not mean Lord. It means I am, I exist, I was, I am, I will be. Moreover, names unlike words should be transliterated, replacing their pronunciation rather than translated. Osama bin Laden is Osama bin Laden, no matter if you're speaking French or English or German. Yahweh, no matter the mm -hmm. language, you transliterate it using the alphabet of the other language. Therefore, Yahweh is Yahweh. In every language on earth, no exceptions. And yet, those prostrating themselves as religious whores, accepting money for a pretense, would have you believe, quote, the only exception to this translation of YHWH is when it occurs in immediate proximity to the word Lord, that is Adonai, 
In that case, it is regularly translated God in order to avoid confusion. You know, if you read Ezekiel in an English Bible, including the Jewish Publication Society, it is always Mm -hmm. my Lord God. Now, what's really interesting in that, of course, is that uh, (laughs) my Lord is put in Yahweh's voice countless times. So they have Yahweh calling himself my Lord. And it actually says uh, Adonai Yahweh. And so rather than just looking stupid and writing my Lord Yahweh, his name and calling himself my Lord, they, they uh, change it to my Lord God. And that's what they're doing here. They're justifying their translation of the book of Ezekiel since it makes no sense. So this was done to avoid making the New American Standard translators look like ignoramuses, rendering Adonai Yahweh, uh, actually Edon Yahweh, as Lord, Lord. That would only serve to reveal their duplicitous fraud. The New American Standard theologians conclude with this parting salvo. This is known that for many years, YHWH has been transliterated Yahweh. To no complete certainty attaches to the pronunciation. Yeah, it isn't Yahweh. However, it is felt by many who are in touch with the laity of our churches that this name conveys no religious or spiritual overtones. It is strange, it is uncommon, and without significant religious and devotional background. No matter of scholarly debate can overcome this deficiency. Hence, it is decided to avoid the use of this name in the translation proper. Go to hell. Got nothing religious. Yeah, just go to hell. <laughs> if I get to play a role in your judgment, I'm going to send you there. Yeah. What you yeah. have done, what you've contributed to, is inexcusable. It is an unforgivable sin. In fact, if you hadn't done this and you had actually read the third statement that Yahweh etched in stone, you would know that the diminishment the devaluing of his name in this way was unforgivable and remains unforgivable. It's the only unforgivable sin to do precisely what they have done. Yeah. But at yeah, least they, here got, yeah. they got one thing right. Yahweh's name conveys no religious overtones. That is true. His name is strange and uncommon to the ears of most people because of Jewish, Christian, and Islamic editors. No scholarly debate between men can overcome this deficiency. Now, if you own a a new international version translation, don't uh, gloat. It says, in regard to the divine name YHWH, commonly referred to as the Tetragrammaton, the translator adopted the 
device used in most English versions of rendering that name as Lord in all capital letters to distinguish from Adonai, another Hebrew word rendered Lord, for which small letters are used. That was so considerate of them. <laughs> fortunately, fortunately, Yahweh has a plan in place to resolve this problem. Not that religious people will like it very much because he will incinerate incinerate all of them who uh, survived his return. Open a King James Bible and weep. The most popular of all translation reads, King James, who by the way was King Iams, there was no J at the uh, time, no J sound at the time that he was King. He was actually King Iams. Uh, King Iams version, in all caps, to the most high and mighty prince, James. Do you know those nincompoops actually renamed Jacob, the uh, the book in the Christian New Testament, to James to flatter this English king, mm-hmm. who was actually Scottish, I believe. So that that, by the way, uh, to to uh, to introduce it as to the Most High and Mighty Prince James is sufficient to burn the book. It would be. King James Version, not Yahweh's. King James, coveting a divine sanction to rule, uh, had his supporters write, Great and manifold were the blessings, most dread sovereign, which Almighty God, the Father of all mercies, bestowed upon the people of England when first he sent your majesty's royal person to rule and reign over us. <laughs> yes, God, the God who says that uh, uh, human governments are obnoxious. They are a sign that, that people have rejected me. And you want to claim that this was a favor to England? when he first sent your majesty's royal person to rule and reign over us, boy, you would be lost. Haven't they read Shamuel? It makes it abundantly clear that to choose a king is to uh, reject Yahweh. Yahweh was regulating to to a lowercase he. Well, James was per, uh, promoted to a parade of capitals in designating deity. The KJV oh. was for him after all. The dark spirit behind this politically inspired religious twist is revealed in the next line. Boy, I'm going to probably get another hate letter from... Uh, Krista, if I keep this up, for oh, because they want to say whether well, King James was authorized. Oh, no, authorized by God, an errant man. word of God. Yeah, of course. An errant, yeah. And the, uh, and the first version of it, uh, there wasn't even a Jesus to be found because there was no J. And no, the first version the actually said, one. "Thou shalt commit adultery." For yeah, I know, I've seen for, that one. I've seen that. Yes, he sure did. Yes. 
Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. For, for whereas it was the exception of many who wished not well unto our Zion, our Zion is King James, that the setting of that bright occidental star against, uh, now we're talking about Queen Elizabeth, of most happy memory, some think and palatable clouds of darkness would have overshadowed this land that men should have been in doubt which way they were to walk and that it should be hardly known who was to direct the unsettled state. The appearance of your majesty as the sun, capital S-U-N, and his strength instantly dispelled those supposed and surmised myths and gave unto all that were well affected exceeding cause of comfort, especially when we beheld the government established by your highness, your hopeful seed, by undoubted title. Wow. Three terms were capitalized and italicized. Scion, referencing James, Occidental Star as the sun, uh, as it is the brightest star which sets in the west. The reference to Elizabeth is uh, revealing. Her principal viceroy, John D., was an occultist, and her only official portrait, the queen, is clothed in sun god images. Their devotion to the sun becomes even more blatant when we read that James' appearance was as the sun, and the reason Cyan, Occidental Star, and Sun are capitalized is they represent the Christian deity. Yahweh's testimony was plastered over and whitewashed by politically and religiously inspired clerics, the arrogance of a repulsive man who thought himself representing the sun. The primary Bible of the Protestant church was corrupted to empower and enrich clerics and kings. Putting in a plug for themselves and their bosses, the scholars who crafted this beguiling propaganda, falsely attributing it to God by cleric and king, wrote that all will be blessed by religious and learned discourse and by cherishing the teachers thereof by caring for the church as a most tender and loving, nursing father. Of course, there isn't even a mention of a church in the Christian New Testament. Mm. You know, I mean, you uh, Christians read church there. The the word ecclesia uh, means called out. It has yeah. no bearing whatsoever to church. It can't be transliterated church. It can't be translated church. Church is right. just a made-up word based upon the, uh, the Greek, the German goddess, Circe, which means a circle and circuit, and was a, uh, the yeah. daughter of the sun. Of course, the father in this case was James in this context, not Yahweh, and men's teachings aren't to be cherished. Moreover, church was derived from the name of a pagan sun goddess. The fourth paragraph of the King James preference begins, they are 
there are infinite arguments of this right Christian and religious affection for your majesty, James, of course, not Yahweh, but none is more forcible to declare it than to others than the vehement and perpetrated desire of accomplishing and publishing this work which we are now humbly present unto your majesty. It is the synthesis of religion, a politically enabling tool designed to control men, both men and women. The following paragraph even takes a jab at the political and religious competition, saying, so if we shall be traduced, means defamed, spoken maliciously of, slandered by this goat, perhaps, by (laughs) popish persons at home and abroad, who therefore will malign us because we are poor instruments to make God's holy truth to be yet more known. (laughs) This was no longer Yahweh versus Baal. It was one man's religion against another. So the lords of England, who saw themselves as masters and owners of the realm, saw fit to apply their title to God, calling Yahweh Lord, and four centuries later, most remain mired in their mess. The key to transitioning the open door to eternal life is recognizing the difference between God's words and those of men. Yahweh's name and that of the Lord. Hosea has stated God's position on this matter for all who would listen. Pretty well, breathtaking, is it not? Yeah. I like to pick a rest at the end, too. Yeah. Now, before it's we commence... that you wrote this before you even knew about Ezekiel. Oh, yes. And it's yeah, the it's perfect true. antidote to Ezekiel. <laughs> yeah, it is. incredible. Uh, yeah, it's kind of nice that we're reviewing this. This uh, um, uh, Hosha was the first book that I translated uh, now 21 years ago. Uh, wasn't very good at it at the at the time, but yet I was able to create a translation that was va- vastly more accurate and complete than anything that was available, and right. just feasted on what we were learning and Hosha and and how vehemently anti-religious God is. And that really is the theme of Hosha. God despises religion, and he divorced the Jewish people because they wanted to be religious. And he was going to be around their false gods and false testimony and uh, their religious nature. And so they had this long intermission, one that God is going to reconcile upon his return with a remnant of Israelites and Yehudim. And we have subsequently retranslated Hosha many, many times. The last was about a year ago, uh, and it uh, appears, I believe it's the eighth volume of, uh, of the Yada Yah series. And in the final rewrite, uh, this chapter really became alive. Uh, everything Hosha had to say 
uh, resonated and reinforced and affirmed so much of what we have uh, learned. Uh, and it's true, though. Uh, when I did my last translation of this, <clears throat> I had not come to the conclusion that uh, uh, Daniel and uh, Ezekiel were spurious. Uh, one of the things that should have been clues to me is that it was essentially impossible to include anything in Daniel or Hosea, uh, excuse me, Daniel or uh, Ezekiel, in, uh, in any of the volumes that I had written thus far. I mean, I'd written 15,000 pages of translations and commentary, and other than uh, a snippet or two out of Daniel 9, uh, there was nothing. And I remember constantly saying, no, I'm, I'm not willing to commit as to whether there are going to be two wars or one war during the uh, the last days. Uh, you know, Ezekiel would have the Magog War, and, and everyone else speaks of a war around uh, Jerusalem. Uh, and so I'm just saying I'm not going to commit until I actually have the opportunity to translate uh, Ezekiel uh, from beginning to end. And, and, you know, I'm not even halfway to that portion of Ezekiel, but it's, uh, it is infinitely obvious, it's undeniable that, that uh, Ezekiel is a complete fraud. Uh, and so there will be no Magog War, and so that, that ends the debate. But at the time that I did this final translation, I, I had not, uh, I had no reason to, uh, to question uh, either book other than, then, you know, I knew the first chapters, first six chapters of Daniel were uh, rubbish. Uh, and they're political, they're religious, they're just disgusting. And that uh, um, Ezekiel's visions of his God were, were whacked out and crazy. Uh, I, I didn't know that the, uh, until quite recently that they're actually satanic, but they are. Yeah. So we're now on, on Hosha, and before we press on beyond Hosha uh, uh, 217, I, I'd like to share kind of where we have been uh, in the second chapter. So this will be a review for those who have listened okay, over the past weeks. Um, say to your brothers, it begins, my people, and to your sisters, she could have loved and been kind. Rebuke, quarreling, and contending with your mother. Prosecute, filing a complaint, for she is not my woman or wife, neither am I her man or husband. Let her, therefore, turn away from her illicit and illegitimate relationships, her idolatry and whoring, such that they are away from her presence with her unfaithfulness, from the way she perceives her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked, exposing her. I will present her as the day she was born, causing her to be akin to a lifeless and barren place of questionable words. I will make her similar to the parched earth, such that she dies of thirst. Uh, God is telling us, and as clearly as he can, is using Hosha as an example, asking him to marry a temple prostitute, that the women of Yisrael, the women of Yahudah, are whoring around with their religion, and that God sees them as 
prostitutes and whores because of their religion. And even though women are demeaned by Judaism, he's saying, nonetheless, they're acting like whores. They're ridding out their wombs and under the pretense of love. And so with regard to her children, I will be neither loving nor compassionate, neither merciful nor kind, because they are children of their religious infidelity, their feigned love, and of seeking to profit by being disingenuous. It should be obvious that their mother is unfaithful and acts like a religious prostitute. She who conceived them should be ashamed. She should be humiliated for acting inappropriately. This is because she conveyed her intent, saying to herself, I have chosen to continually go after what I desire from my closest and most intimate relationships, which provide my bread, my water, my wool, my linen, my olive oil, and my drink. In other words, religious Jewish women are renting their womb for comforts, for temporal things. Likewise, in response, behold, I will guard to restrain and block, hedging up that which is associated with your path with thorns. I will erect a stone to block your progress so that her way of life will be incapable of discovering it. So she will pursue and annoy her most intimate lovers and passionate desires, but she will not achieve what she is chasing after. She shall seek them and will conspire with them, but she will not prevail nor be satisfied by what she craves. Then she will say, I will go after and and I will go in reverse course, returning to my initial husband and former man, because it was better, more productive, and beneficial for me than it is now. But she did not acknowledge or even care that I gave to her, providing for her the grain, the new wine, and olive oil, in addition to having greatly increased her silver and gold, which they assigned to Baal, the Lord. Therefore, when I return, I will grasp hold of my grain, which is symbolic of saved souls, which will be increasing and growing for having observed his banner at this proper time, along with my new wine, which is symbolic of being perfected and given eternal life as an inheritance, as part of his continuing witness to the appointed meetings. Then I will rescue and defend. Indeed, save by delivering my wool, which is to cover us so that we appear perfect in Yahweh's eyes, and my linen to cover and conceal her nakedness. However, at this time, right now, I am revealing that which is associated with her stupidity and her foolishness, her lewdness and shame in the sight of her most intimate lovers and passionate desires. No individual can save her out of my hand. Then I will observe the Shabbat by causing a cessation 
of all of her merry celebrations, her festival feasts, her new moon observances, and her approach to the Shabbat and to all of her designated celebrations. You know, it's interesting that in the book Mm -hmm. of Ezekiel, uh, four of Yahweh's Moed Mikre are replaced, including the most important one for Jews today, the second chance, Yom Kippur. But uh, replacing them, uh, I... The Ezekiel speaks of new moon observances and a special Shabbat observance. It's an annual celebration. And God is saying, no, no, uh, those things are yours. As a matter of fact, the way that religious Jews observe the Shabbat has no bearing whatsoever on what Yahweh uh, instructed. It is an entirely religiously orchestrated, overbearing, onerous approach to making a day miserable and unproductive. And I will abandon her vines and her fig tree wherever she has said these gratuities are for me because this is my, because my sexual partners and lovers have given them to me. However, I will cause them to be a thicket of tangled underbrush and the animals of the land shall devour them does not like religion and all through this the sexuality of this the whorishness nature of this the um, prostitute references the uh, references to adultery are all directed at religious behavior I will take inventory and record record against her for the time and association with Habalem, the lords, who seek to be perceived as masters, to possess and to control, because she blew smoke and burned incense and made offerings to them. Now, that should be proof. If your mind mm-hmm. is open and your head is in the game, that all of these references to her being a prostitute, to Israel being a whore, God being disgusted by this behavior. And then God describes the behavior. I will take inventory and record against her for the time and association with Ha-Balaam, the Lord's religious behavior. For those who seek to be perceived as masters to possess and to control because she blew smoke, burned incense, and made offerings to them. She was religious which made her a prostitute from God's eyes. And she was adorned, plain religious dress-up with her ornamental rings and circular objects, bejeweled. She went after her lovers, pursuing her desires and illicit relationships with the lords, with false gods. And she ignored and then forgot me, prophetically announces Yahweh. It's true. Religious Jews have completely forgotten about Yahweh. They won't mention his name. They won't write his name. They don't understand his name. Not that his name is sacred to them. It's they hate it. They've written it out of their lives. And by the way, 
their great hatred of Yahweh's name was solidified in Babylon because the exiles in Babylon were called Yahoos by the Babylonians who spoke a variation of Hebrew called Aramaic. And they called them Yahoos. And rather than correct them and say, no, it's Yahud, it means beloved of Yah, and Babylonians wouldn't have cared. I mean, one more god, you know, amongst the hundreds would have been <laughs> insignificant and meaningless to them. And the very fact that they were named after this uh, god, Yahweh, uh, they would have giggled at anyway because, well, they had taken the <laughs> every bit of the temple with them. Children away, yeah. Yeah. So the reason that Yahweh hates being called the Lord, the reason that he hates religious behavior is because the religious ignore and then forget about him, is what is being prophetically announced by Yahweh. So any religion that does not announce Yahweh's name, who writes his name out of the religion, as have Christians, is evidenced by the forward to those three Bible translations that I read. Mm-hmm. As has Jews, read the Jewish publication, Society Tanakh. Read anything the rabbis have written in the Babylonian Talmud, and you will find that they have ignored and then forgotten Yahweh. Therefore, by contrast, long thereafter, behold, knowing that she has been deceived... I will leave the way open to persuade her should she become open-minded. Yahweh is giving you a second chance. Yom Kippurim, don't blow it. At that moment, I will walk with her to ponder the word, even in the place where these statements are questioned, such that I speak words to her heart making an impression upon her judgment and thinking. Beginning then and there, I am prepared to give her so that she can approach her vineyards and vine dresser and the garden and resulting fruit. In the valley of Accor troubles, it's going to become an open doorway. It's a doorway of hope, of confidently expectable future a means to be optimistic and move forward. And what is the catalyst for this great change? Recognizing Yahweh's name. Yahweh's name. Then and there, along with the name, she will respond with the answer, as in the days of her youth, as in the day when lifted up, she ascended out of the land of Mitzrayim, the crucibles of religious oppression. Following Pesach, the doorway to life, on Matzah, the day that we are perfected with the stench of the Mitzrayim religion and politics were removed from the people, and Yahweh freed them, that is the day, Pesach matzah of Bakurim becoming the children of Israel adopted into Yahweh's covenant family. During this specific day, it shall be prophetically declares Yahweh 
you will invite, welcome, and meet with me as an individual. And then you will never call me, Bailey, my Lord, ever again. For I will renounce, reject, and remove accordingly the names and reputations of the Balaam, the Lord's, from her mouth. And they shall not be remembered or recalled or mentioned by their name ever again. Hosea 2, 1 through 2.17. The whores are the religious. The prostitutes are religious. Christians, Jews, Muslims. It doesn't matter. From God's perspective, they are all absolutely disgusting. No, I haven't uh, read translated everything there but i have done awful big chunks of it you know especially in the 17 you know there's nothing in this translation that is hard to understand and it's nothing that's not there no i mean it's not a you know it's, it's if you can read it you can understand it and if you understand it yeah, you now there's a, there are to be fair a lot of references to disgusting lewd uh, behavior mm-hmm. to whores and prostitutes mm-hmm. and adultery. Metaphors, still metaphors. Playing religious uh, dress up. Yeah. But those are all explained as you read it where God says the, the, your adultery, your whoredom is because you've chased after the Lord's. <clears throat> yeah. You've given the, the Lord's, the false gods, the things that I gave you. I gave you. Yeah. Yep. And because you've been religious, I can't do anything for you. I can't do anything for your children. And because you're religious, I have to block the way to heaven. Because I don't want to spend an eternity with you. I don't even want to be around you now. That's why the long intermission. But it's for darn sure we're not going to spend eternity together. So I will absolutely block the way for you to find me while you are religious. And it's only after you cease to be religious, when you come to value my name again and accept me as who I am, as an individual, stop listening to these self-serving prostitute of rabbis that we'll be together again. But if your mind's open, you're willing to walk away from religion and walk to God as he has conveyed his nature to us along the path he has provided. The door is open. We wrote these 25 volumes and made them available to you. Yadayad.com. All of them are available. They're all available free. Read them. Benefit from those translations. Benefit from the commentary and the insights. Validate whatever is written. It's Every translation was written, including the Hebrew root. You're reading them online, super easy. Make a copy and paste of, for example, the next line is, then I will cut. Cut. Karat. Wa is then, I will cut. Karat. I will establish through separation at that moment, written in the call perfect. For them, lahem, so that they can approach a family-oriented covenant relationship, bereth, 
end that today. Baha Yom. In conjunction with other living things of the garden environs and in harmony with the winged creatures of the spiritual realm, even the creatures that move about of the earth. And so then I will establish and destroy the bow, including the weapons which make life difficult, and the sword, including that which suffers and separates, lacerates and devastates, along with war, hostility, and infighting from the earth so that I can make it possible for them to relax confidently and securely. Every one of those words you can look up. You can do, uh, Kirk, as you have done, uh, as D as you have done, validate them for yourself. You know, D not long ago decided that, you know, I'm going to check out the whole timeline because I'm pretty forthright. I'm telling you the day that Yah was returning, well, sunset, uh, 6.22 p.m., in Jerusalem, October 2nd, 2033, is year 6,000 Yah and the dawning of the Day of Reconciliations. I've done this because we've translated Yahweh's words and compared what he has said to everything else he has conveyed, and it becomes obvious. Validate it for yourself. See if it's true. So, you know, D created a timeline that goes all the way back to the very beginning. And found out that after months and months and months and months of work, it all works out exactly as we have stated. This is the time you have left. This is the offer that God is making. Go ahead, Dee. Oh, it's mathematically precise, and it's all there. Anyone can find this. Anyone. Very easily. You just have to think a little bit. Yeah, I think it helps to know who Yahweh is and what he is offering to put together Mm -hmm. all of the the details of his life. And, of course, shining, shimmeringly, brilliant, the most brilliant human who's ever lived, God's favorite person, his announced son, our Messiah, the King of Kings, Dode, is right in the middle of this story. So perfectly placed. And a little town, eh? <laughs> yeah, and it's exactly 40 Yovel since uh, we were escorted out of the garden for corrupting the word of God, the very thing the religious would do. To the time that the agreement was made to allow us back in with uh, Abraham and the fulfillment of the covenant in year 2000, Yah, exactly 40 Yovel. Uh, Yovel is 50 years. It's a time of forgiving debts, returning uh, the land and uh, of uh, restoring the relationship while freeing uh, all slaves. So it's a time of, of emancipation, freedom, of forgiveness of all debts, and of returning to the place that Yah was offering. That's every 50 years is a Yobel. Uh, 40 is the number of a time of completion of a time of testing, you know, rain 40 days and 40 nights, The uh, Exodus was uh, uh, 40 years. Everything is in in multiples of of these things. And 40 Yobel, from the time that Adam and Chawa were expelled from the garden for corrupting Yahweh's testimony, to the time that the covenant was affirmed on Mount Moriah with Yahweh providing the lamb, 40 Yobel makes it uh, 2,000 Yah. 
1968 BCE. Uh, mm -hmm. Forty of thereafter <clears throat> is 33 CE. That is the time the first four Moed Mekre were fulfilled, Pesach, Matzah, and Shavuah. Religious Jews don't know this because Judaism was created to deny the false notion that Jesus was the Messiah and Son of God, and therefore they couldn't tolerate the notion that there really was a person named Yosha, and that Yosha is Yahweh saving us, and that he did so by fulfilling, as he had promised to Abraham, Passover. Mm -hmm. And having rejected that notion in the formation of Judaism, they would go on to uh, reject the fulfillment of, of matzah, eliminating it even from the annual celebration, <coughs> uh, as well as Bukotam and Shabuah. But they were all fulfilled wow. in year 4000, yeah, uh, so that we could be made immortal, perfected, adopted into Yahweh's covenant family, enriched and empowered, giving us the opportunity to Teruah, which is a yet unfulfilled uh, mikre. Uh, in a sense, one sense it is being fulfilled in your hearing. I was called to serve as Yahweh's witness in this regard on Teruah, uh, what will be 32 years prior to uh, his return. And Teruah is what we're all inspired to do, corrupted by the Rabbis to the Babylonian celebration of Rosh Hashanah. But Teruah is the time that we proclaim this warning to share Yahweh's disgust for religion, to call people out of Babylon and to uh, the covenant relationship. That is Teruah. Kippurim is the result. We do our job well. There will be many... Yehudim, and Yisraelites who will reconcile their relationship with Yahweh upon his return as he returns with his son and Messiah, Dote. And we write, we speak, we do all that we do to encourage Yehudim to come home. Those who do will then find that five days later you're celebrating a on the Shabbat a thousand-year celebration of uh, sukkah, of camping out with God, where the earth is returned to the conditions that were found in Eden. And, of course, that happens 40 Yobel, or 2,000 years from the fulfillment in, 20, in 33 CE, year 4,000 Yah, bringing us to 2033. And Kippurim being fulfilled on October 2nd on our pagan calendars. That's the plan. That's the promise. That's the offer. And it's being made by Yahweh. Yep. So, folks, uh, that's uh, a full show for uh, tonight. We can pick this up with um, uh, Hosha uh, 218. Uh, we'll mm -hmm. repeat this, and I will cut. Uh, such an interesting term, uh, karat. We can examine why Yahweh used it to speak of the uh, of the covenant relationship, and then why Yahweh used what is clearly uh, references to a garden. And uh, in this presentation of His reaffirmation of the covenant, and we'll come to appreciate 
why what he's speaking of is the restoration of our planet back to the conditions that were experienced in Eden, which is why we know so much about what took place there. That's where we're uh, we're headed. Oh. All right. Wait. Well, that's. Uh, I'm sorry to have yeah. brought such sad news in terms of Yah's disgust for uh, religion, but uh, it is the most reoccurring theme throughout the prophets. It's something that he wants uh, known. So we're going to uh, to tell it to you, even if labeled uh, a goat, a blaspheming goat, uh, nonetheless. Blaspheming it is what goat, it yeah. is what Yahweh wants known, and to blaspheme is to call him the Lord, to uh, to delight him, is to call him by his name, and his name is Yahweh, and it is he whom we serve. Happy Shabbat to one and all. Look forward to being with you this time yes. next week. Thank you, uh, Dee. Thank you, Kirk. And, um, and yes, uh, have a, a blessed Shabbat. Good night. Bye, Thank you. Bye. Bye, Kirk. Bye-bye, Dee. <laughs>